0: Uh, If you think about the one we sang as a congregation, the last one, Because He Lives, how many of you know the story as to why that song was written? If you remember the second stanza, it talks about holding a newborn child. Uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither just had their son born during a very tough time in our country and the world, and that's because that's when he wrote the song. We are in a tough time in the world today, but because he lives, we can face things too. So it meant, that song meant a lot to me in 1974. I was having a in college, and at that time we were not allowed to use a reusable bond or anything. It was just strictly an old manual typewriter, and anytime you, if you had three spelling mistakes or any type of mistake on the entire paper, it was a letter grade. So I was typing a paper, and all I had was a record player with only one record that record. <laughs> so I started that paper over 15, 17 times before I finally got it done. So, Needless to say, that song you know, every time I think about it, thinks about that paper before the computer days. And obviously the one she sang too with Peter uh, just had a forgiveness. It was interesting, in the uh, this past week I was at, uh, it was off Friday, uh, being Good Friday the uh, refinery gave us off. So I went to have breakfast with a Friend of mine, and uh, he wanted to know why I was off on Friday. I said, "Well, it's Good Friday." Didn't really understand why I was off. Uh, the waitress said, "Well, what's Good Friday?" I'm Kind of wondering, you know. I thought everybody knew what Good Friday was. Obviously, they didn't. And later in the day, I was listening to the radio, and a person came on and said, uh, "Easter and Christmas are just made-up church holidays." So, you stop and you think about it, we are in a world where a lot of people do not believe in all these different things. So, what about it? Can you, uh, what do you say to people who do not believe or do not even know of Good Friday, who do not know of Easter, don't know what it's for, and how important is it? And I think it's important to really stop and you think about it. Is it a fact or is it fiction? And then what do you do with it? If it is factual, what do you do with it? So, I want to think about it. We'll just answer some of those. We've uh, stopped and I thought about it. This, uh, including the sunrise services, has probably been 25, 28 times that I've had an Easter service. So, you think about it. What do you do that's a little different than last week, last year? We always want to present the Easter story, but we also want to make it uh, as fresh as we can. So, first of all, I think about the, the fact or fiction is that a fulfillment of Scripture? Primarily interested in a couple of passages, but let's give you some of them. If you remember in uh, Mark chapter 12, if you remember when Je- uh, the Jewish nation kept wanting another sign, you know, he'd heal people, he would do all the different things, and kept, Well, that's not good enough. I want another sign. I mean, to feed the five, and that's not good enough. You walk in the water, that's not good enough. They wanted, so Jesus said, What well, I'll give you one more sign. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so likewise will I be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. If Christ is not resurrected, what about his prophecy he gave? He's still in the grave. According to Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you are not 100% accurate, what are you supposed to do to a false prophet? And they're not of God. He made the prophecy, and therefore fulfillment of scripture think about it you all also know it very well what about isaiah 53 and verse 6 all we like sheep have what keep going
1: turn everyone to his own way and the
0: lord has the iniquity of us all fulfillment of prophecy if you know the old testament was required of a, a lamb and obviously a hundred percent If he's not uh, if he's not 100 percent without sin, it's not a sinless sacrifice. He didn't die for your sins. Fulfillment of prophecy: Christ died for our sins, not only ours but that of everyone else. You think about it. What about another one? Look over in John 3. We know John 3:16 real well, but how about us look at the text around it? John chapter 3 again, the fulfillment of Scripture. remember nicodemus comes to him by night he was a leader of a jewish nation and you'll notice starting in, in verse 14 in John 3:14 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up okay if you know your story if you go back it's in numbers if you go back to it you remember The uh, nation was rebelled against God, and God sent snakes. And they were biting poisonous snakes. So they were told then to put a snake up on a a pole. And if you looked, obviously, why would you put it on a pole? So So everyone can see it. And if you look at the pole, you then would be spared now you stop and think about that logically. If I'm being stung by a poisonous snake, that will kill me. What is it going to do to look at a pole with a snake on it? How is that going to heal me? Because it's an act of faith. So notice then, he says, so likewise, the Son of Man is lifted up. If you'll notice being lifted up, Christ was put on the cross. And we have to look to Him and believe in faith. Just like they, the ones that turned and believed in faith were healed, the ones that if they didn't believe, it, they didn't look, and they died. How many died that day, by the way? 23,000? That's a pretty good number, wouldn't you say? So stop and think about it. But it's also, it's important in verse 14, because it also helps when you're dealing with those who say that Christ died on a stake. so you know, other people believe that. Well, notice it's on a stake. You're not... You, you, no one would see it. So, people immediately but around. You couldn't see because people would be in your way. Christ was lifted up. So, notice then, it talks about the Savior of the whole world. Then, notice then in verse 15 and 16 that whoever believes in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him he should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but the world through Him might be saved. So, notice then, Christ was a prophecy fulfillment. Just as Moses was lifted up, Christ would be lifted up. And we had to look to Him and believe that He died in our place. Fulfillment of Scripture. How many of us believe Scripture? That's a, you know, it's a very important question to ask. Do you believe Scripture or don't you? I'll never forget, I was sitting in a uh, church and a person was visiting and speaking. And they were asked the question, or it was a conference, they were asked the question, do you, do you believe in the inspired Word of God? And the direct quote back was, I believe that the Word of God is without error in all its relevatory matters. What does that mean? It's part of it. That means, historically, it's not. So you have to catch people's words. They're saying part of it is, who's deciding what's revelatory and what is not? And so it's very, very important. And people walked away from there and saying, he believes in the inadequacy of Scripture. No, he does not. He believes in parts of it, and not all of it. So listen carefully when people talk. Um, you might pray for me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I was asked this past week. My, my son called me last night, and the Bible teacher where he is at uh, is going through all religions and cults. Well, I taught that almost 40 years ago. It's kind of, been a while. I've thrown most of my stuff away a couple of months ago because so I thought I'll never teach again. You know. Well, they asked if I would come and uh, speak to them on some different stuff. So I'm not sure how I'm going to fit that in. But anyway, you might just pray I can find some of that material and maybe I can speak to them for an hour or so or answer their questions. But again, you, know, that's, you never know when you're going to be asked to do something for the Lord. We can always say I can't, but with God's help, you can. So, so, think about it. So, first of all, the fulfillment of Scripture. Look over First Corinthians fifteen, the second one, and I'd like to look what I really would like to talk about. So, first of all, fulfillment of Scripture. The second one, according to the Old Testament, as well as in First John, First uh, uh, Timothy five, in order to prove a fact, you go to the court of law. How many witnesses do you need to prove something? Two or three eyewitnesses in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 notice in verse 3 and 4 notice what he says for I delivered to you that of first importance that Christ did what he died according to the scriptures he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures so the first witness of scripture already gave you some he was going to die and he was going to do this Daniel 9 tells you he was going to come and he was going to die Prophesied long before. That's the reason why Christ set his face towards Jerusalem. There was a time frame with which it was prophesied of when he would be here. 483 years from the time of the signing of the covenant, with and under Nebuchadnezzar rebuilt. 483 years later, Christ would be here. That's why Christ said, "Search Scriptures, and you'll see." How did the uh, wise men know where to find Jesus? Because Micah chapter 5 told you he'd be in Bethlehem. Fulfillment of Scripture. But notice when you get down to verse, verse 5 and 6, And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or are dead. Well, if 500 eyewitnesses come forward and tell you about something, would you think it might be true? You know, you got 500 eyewitnesses that have come forward. But the question is, oh, but these are all believers. They believe in Jesus. Well, Paul thought ahead, so look at the next verse. Then he appeared to James. James, according to John 6, did not believe in him, he's an unbeliever. What about in verse 8? Last of all, he appeared to one of the entirely of earth, he appeared to me. Acts 8, Paul was crucified with persecuting and killing believers. He didn't believe in Jesus. Acts 9, he met Christ on the road to Damascus, did he not? So you think about it the fact or fiction, scripture supports it. You have over 500 eyewitnesses, believers, but you also had non believers who also saw it and believed. So you think about it. Question Do I believe actual witnesses? You might find this humorous, but this actually happened. Ruthie was dating a young man a few years ago and uh, we got on the he was a believer, or is a believer, but he got on the subject of the landing on the moon. He and his family do not believe that that ever happened. It was just a figment of people's imagination made up by TV. <laughs> well, what would you say? You think there's enough facts out there and evidence to support that was landing on the moon and that we did it? Yes. But you have the same thing true in a lot of things. Facts can be out there. It's whether you want to believe the facts or you don't. So what are you doing with the facts of Scripture about Christ? What are you doing with the facts of our witnesses about Christ? But I want to think about it because a lot of people say, well, I'm I'm a believer. What impact does that have? So I want to think about it. What about the impact of the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to you and I? We saw the first one in John, if you remember in 3, we already saw about salvation. But what about the thief on the cross? There's two of them. One of them ridiculed him. What did the other one do? Remember me when you enter your kingdom and what did Christ say? Today you'll be with me. We'll be with he said, I am a sinner, did he not? I deserve this punishment. What type of, you know, think about it. There, there's nothing he could do The thief was nailed on the cross right along with Jesus. He turned in what tremendous faith and said, Remember me in your kingdom. Did he believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Yes. Did he believe he was dying for his sins? Yes. And it brought salvation. The same thing for you and I. How many of us have not done it? We always think we have tomorrow. It doesn't matter. It's available to the thief and the thief said right there, I deserve the punishment I'm getting. But you do not. What about the second one? You saw it if you remember in 1 Corinthians. Remember it said he appeared to Cephas. Peter. The last time Peter was with Christ, what did he do? He denied him. He denied him. You know, it's amazing in Luke 22, remember when Jesus is in the garden and remember he goes to pray? And remember he asked them to pray? Earlier in the text it says that Christ is speaking, says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that once you have fallen, you'll restore, and then obviously be of service to your brothers. It's amazing to me that I have a Savior who knows he's about to die and what he's ready to go through, and who's he praying for? <clears throat> he's praying for Peter. What would you be praying for? Or what would you be asking people to pray for? Notice he told his disciples prayed for themselves. He didn't say, Pray for me. Most of us are so concerned about ourselves. But you go a little long, you think about it, the uh he's thinking about the restoration, he meets Peter privately, according to 1 Corinthians 15. What do you think that thing was about? How would that make you feel if you were Peter and you met Christ privately? The resurrected Christ. How important would that forgiveness be? And how do we know that Christ forgave him? In John 21, you can look at it, you'll see it. In John 21, let's look at it for a moment. If you remember, they'd gone fishing. Verse fifteen. So when they finished breakfast, this is John twenty one fifteen. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You remember earlier, you remember he said, They may deny you, but I what? I never will. I never will. Which by the way, according to John, how many deserted him? All, all deserted. Only Peter denied, but they all deserted notice what he says uh, yes Lord You notice he makes the correction yes Lord you know that I love you he didn't say I love you more than them that's what he said before others may but I won't what does Jesus then say tend Ten to what my lands. what is the most important possession a shepherd has and Jesus is about to leave and what's he telling Peter take care of my sheep you go on, to 16, same thing, you ask him again, you notice what he says to him then, shepherd my sheep. As a shepherd, what do you have to do? Do you have to provide for them? Do you have to protect them? Notice then, Peter, you can't run. You've got to protect. Which Peter obviously does, and he, uh, according to tradition, was crucified upside down. When think about it, all the disciples, uh, really, uh, the uh, 12 really suffered some really... Uh, difficult things for God. But think about it. How important would that restoration be to Peter? <clears throat> have any of how about you and I? Have any of us blown it as Christians? I guess just one. Oh okay, get two hands. Okay. <laughs> how many of us are thankful for that restoration? I mean he, that's why you have first 1 John 1, 19, we confess our sins to restore fellowship. We're still part of the family, but just like with the, in a family, you can have rifts, different things. You're still part of the family, but the restoration of fellowship. And Jesus goes to him. Peter didn't go to Jesus. Jesus went to Peter. Amazing. Think about the restoration. What about Thanksgiving? How many of us are thankful for what He did for us? If you remember, it's been a um, Matthew 26. It's also in John 12. If you remember. Mary comes, we know it's Mary because of what happens in John 12, six days before Passover, so roughly a week before his death. You remember she takes the perfume? What does she do with her perfume? Pours it all over him, and then what does Judas say? Should have been sold, Should have been sold and given to the poor. John tells us he was saying that because he wanted to take the money he was pilfering the box, although it's amazing, notice the rest of the disciples went along with who? <coughs> with Judas now what's the according to John 12 it's a Well, it was worth one denarii and then it says 300 so it's one year's salary of a real worker at that time what's a real worker in the United States make if we said $15 an hour that's how much in a year a little over $30,000 now if any one of us Took perfume that cost $30,000 and went and poured it on Jesus as a thanksgiving or poured it out on the ground, did whatever, gave it to the Lord. What would the rest of the people in our congregation think? Are you out? You're, you're crazy. Yeah. But it's interesting, Jesus says, What? Anywhere the gospel is being presented, this story will be given, and it's in all the different, it's in the gospel. It was remembered, but notice she recognizes what Jesus is about to do And a thanksgiving, not only for raising her brother from the dead, but what he is she he's about to do for her and her family and her loved one. She does that. What are you and I willing to give? How do you show your thankfulness? You know it's amazing. I told you this, to, you know, just about the, the cat and the saved it's the same one that Mike did, saved the dog. It's amazing the devotion that those two animals have for those individuals. Different than anybody else. To so, But how many of us are that devoted and thankful for what God's done? Or are we like the ten lepers? How many of them came back to thank Jesus? Just one. How thankful are we it, and how do we show it? Another one you think about. What about the transformations? So you have the salvations and one impact, the restorations and another, thanksgivings is another. Transformation. Think about it, James. James, the half, uh, you know, the uh, brother of Christ, Mary's son, and also Jude. If you remember, according to John six, they were not believers. According to we just read it in First Corinthians fifteen, he meets Christ. Acts chapter 1, you find that James and Jude and the rest of the family are now believers. What made them change their mind? They recognized and they met the risen Savior and recognized what he was saying was true. Then what happens? According to Acts 15, he becomes a leader and the church leads the Jerusalem council in Galatians chapter 2. Peter says he's a pillar of the faith of the Jerusalem church in James chapter 1. He says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, and he writes Scripture. You think about it. What kind of transformation does that show in a person? From not believing to becoming a leader in the church, and the Holy Spirit even uses to write Scripture. And he doesn't ever say, I'm a brother of Jesus. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus. What kind of transformation? That's an amazing transformation, you think about it. What about Paul? Remember, we saw in 1 Corinthians 15. talks about Paul, that he came to an untimely uh, birth. Acts 8, you find him persecuting the church. Acts 9, he meets him on the road to Damascus. Remember, he, Christ says, why are you persecuting me? And then he meets the risen Lord. And then later in Acts 9, he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Did Paul ever have to suffer for him? 2 Corinthians 12, he suffered tremendously. Why would he go from persecuting to being persecuted? Because of the transformation that took place in his life. So when people on the outside look at you and I, do they see a transformation? I challenge you, the last one to look at is two of them. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Let's just look at a few passages. Look over in Mark chapter uh, 15. We'll look at three passages. Mark chapter 15. By the way, this story is in all four Gospels. Mark 15, we'll start in 42. And when evening had already come because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, which you mean what day? Friday. 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 Why is it called Good Friday? Because Christ died on Friday. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body. Notice he gathered up courage. He was a secret follower of Christ. Notice he believed in the truth. He believed in Christ. But what happens if he now stands up and asks for the body? What do you think his place on the council is going to be? Do you think it cost him dearly? It cost him. A prominent member, and when he goes against what they say, it's going to cost him. But he had not done it yet. I'm talking about up until this time, he was a secret follower. How many of us are secret followers? We've believed, but we're not willing or have not yet been willing to stand up and say things for Christ. Again, yeah, look over in Luke, which kind of go in order. I put it in order to make it a little easier turn turning to the right each time. It's in Matthew also, but we'll uh, skip Matthew. Look over in uh, Luke 23. <coughs> Luke 23, starting in verse 50. Behold, a man named Joseph was a member of the council of a good and righteous man. Which, by the way, is that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? You ever wonder what would be written beside your name if it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Would it say good and righteous? Notice He said He did not consent with their plan and action talking about the, the with Judas and then betrayal and crucifixion. So he doesn't go along with it, but with 70 he vote didn't matter a man of arimathea which would be outside of lydia city of the jews who was waiting for the kingdom of god this man went to pilate and asked for the body he took it down wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut of rock where no one had it ever laid the other passage says it was his own tomb he builds up enough courage he's a righteous man he stands up and he asks for the body which by the way it's just before passover you touch it you touch a dead body what happens to you you're unclean can you participate in the Passover why would that not matter to Joseph his whole life he would have been part of the Passover because he recognizes that true Passover lamb just did what for him <clears throat> look over in John just for a moment John 19 and 38 and after these things this is john 19 38 joseph arimathea being a disciple of jesus but a secret one okay he's not secret anymore though for fear of the jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of jesus and Pilate granted permission he came therefore took away the body and nicodemus who also came to him by night remember in john 3 another member of the sanhedrin but notice now when they take the body and they do this, it's not public. Everybody's going to know. They cost them their place on the Sanhedrin, but they're not public, and everybody knows it. Notice what they do. And then, by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloes, about a hundred pounds weight, which obviously would be a large sum. 40 is important to remember, too. I want to ask you why here. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen wrappings with spices and also burial custom of the Jews. Why would that be an important passage to remember? Wrappings, singular or plural? Plural, because that was the way they did it, wrapping. They take a piece of cloth and wrap it, and when they finish it, they'd wrap another one, then they get another piece and wrap till until they got the whole body. Shroud of Turin is made up of how many pieces? One? Is it surrounded to the one of Jesus? No. Just look at scripture, it'll answer it for you. So you think about it, Joseph Arimathea, did he have a transformation? Did Nicodemus have a transformation? They did, didn't they? They went for me in secret to believers. By the way, could they have continued to be a secret believer? you say no, why couldn't they? Could they have continued to believe? Did any, Were they required to go take the body? They could, they could still believe that Jesus died. They could still believe that He did these things. But notice there's a time we need to stand up. And no matter what it costs, we need to. And they made that choice. Another one you stop and think about when Jesus, you remember, he had been beaten and he was carrying his own cross, and what happened? He could no longer carry it. So who was pressed into service? What individual? Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is North Africa. They came. Simon and his family then came to Jerusalem for the Passover. He was an innocent by, uh, bypass, uh, to stand standing there. Why do I bring Him up? Look over in Romans chapter 16. You have it in Mark 15. Let's look at Mark 15 and then look at Rome. Look at Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, 21. And they pressed into service that by a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to various cross. It's an important thing to remember. The father of who? Alexander and Rufus. Alexander and Rufus. Why would that be mentioned? Did they work for Herod? Look over in Romans 16. Paul writes the book of Romans. Notice in verse 13. Great Rufus, a choice man of God, and also his mother and mine. Simon of Cyrene was coming for the Passover. He's pressed into service, and who does he meet? He's not coming just for, you know, you think about it, he meets the risen Lord and he accepts him as his true Passover lamb. And it affects his family. And notice Rufus and Alexander and his wife become prominent members of the Christian church. How many of us just happen to be somewhere that God then has a, something for you and I to do? How many of us would have been loving to come to the Jerusalem? And if you remember, it was required by Roman law. If a soldier told you to do something, you had to do it. And how many of you would love to just grab this, old, this cross and start carrying it How many of you might have had a few choice words to say along the way, at least under your breath? Did it change and transform Simon and his family's life? What happens? Things can happen in our life that can be transforming that God has placed us in the right place at the right time to change us. What are we going to do with it? Let's think about it then. Fact or fiction? Do I believe Scripture? And do I believe eyewitnesses that Jesus... Is the Son of God a dying place for me? Another one, if I have blown it, can God still use me? I need to have a meeting with the risen Lord on it and confess it and be restored. All right. How have I or can I show my thanks for what He's done for me? What can I do? How many of us believe that God owns everything? So if he asked for one year's wage of you, what would you do? That's my retirement. Well, if he asked for it, what would we do? It's an interesting question. Because who ultimately takes care of us? Maybe I have been a silent follower of Christ. Are you ready today to make a public sin? We don't know how. I no. know how or, or whatever. And also, how many of you are willing to say, Lord, if you bring in, like Simon, an in- innocent bystander, but I'm really t- willing to carry the cross to be served for you and change my life and my family. I'm ready if you'll bring it in my life.